Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Alliance Global Corporate and Specialty Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Reichman, Media Relations Coordinator in North America. It's that time of year again, folks. The Allianz Risk Barometer just released. The seventh annual Allianz Risk Barometer has the top 10 corporate perils for the year ahead and beyond based on the insights of more than 1,900 risk management experts from 80 countries around the world. And for the sixth consecutive year, drum roll please, business interruption stays atop the list with 42% of responses, making a strong finish at number two. Cyber incidents at 40%, just 2% behind business interruption. So cyber really climbing up the ranks. It was 15 a few years back. Now it's up to number two. Natural catastrophes, market developments, and changes in legislation and regulation round out the top five. But on this episode of the podcast, we are talking top two. We're talking business interruption, and we're talking cyber incidents, and we've got two of the best on today's show, including Tom Varney making his annual Risk Barometer podcast appearance and Emmy Donovan. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Tom Varney is the regional manager of the Americas for Alliance Risk Consulting, and Tom, for the sixth consecutive year, business interruption finds itself atop the Alliance Risk Barometer. This year, 42% of responses have it at the top. Why is it so consistently in the number one seat? I think it's a complexity of scenarios that exist within uh, business interruption exposures that could be driving this concern and actually making it um, uh, you know, one of the top areas, as you said, the last six years. Um, as you, when you look at the risk barometer, really some standalone exposures such as cyber, uh, fire and explosion, or natural catastrophes are also high concerns just by themselves. And there's aspects of each of these that actually um, tie into business interruption as really a, a, you know, what are things that could drive business interruption. So really it's an it's, it's a interconnectivity of, of all of these types of concepts that come across. Um, you know, and that's, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at, and that's probably what's uh, leading that uh, at the top global uh, concern. What I find interesting, Tom, and, and you tell me if I'm oversimplifying things, but it's number one on the most identified risk, right, at 42%, but it's also the second most underestimated business risk coming in at 36%. Well, help me understand that relationship a little bit better. I think it's, you know, the, the, the thing when you talk about under underestimated, I think really it's around um, uh, when you when you have a as I talked about earlier, the complexity of, of, of getting back into business and really how that's really the aspect that can be misunderstood. Um, as we're in a global economy, um, the required steps that may not always be in the owner's control, therefore there can be a misunderstanding of really what that overall impact might be if in fact a, an event does happen. Um, also, the fact that you know one of the things that is critical is, or has come up, is that um, you know business interruption is actually um, a third higher um, on average than uh, property damage uh, losses of, of the same venue. So it, it is a, it is something that's a, a, a bit more higher cost as we go forward. So it is something that that can be a huge concern. I'm happy you bring that up because in the report you mentioned the importance of understanding how new non-damage business interruption risk triggers are evolving and how companies need to stay on top of changing impacts to their business. Maybe elaborate a little bit on that for me. Uh, you know, what are the best practices of staying abreast of those changes? 
I think really the, the, the um, understanding the exposures that really face your business, um, be it uh, natural catastrophe type events, uh, you know, external globally uh, supported supply chains of, of key suppliers, um, you know, if you have a, an online presence or, you know, you're utilizing a network, realizing what those exposures are and then um, understanding how to uh, best mitigate types of, types of events or, or issues that may, um, may happen that could impact those, those different areas that your business is in. So really what you want to do is then realize that it's not really a one-and-done type of situation. It's an ongoing evolution. So the, the exposure you have today could be different tomorrow, and, that, and that's driven by many different things um, that, that can be happening both internal to the company but also to a company or, you know, externally driven by, you know, certain events or certain situations. So really um, due diligence on, on, on understanding the exposures how the exposures change, and then also how you know that change uh, can drive different mitigation approaches. So really trying to keep keep on top of those. And then what are what are things that you control internally, and then what are things that you you possibly need to utilize external support to to help you handle. Business interruption is so wide ranging, and we've talked about it over the course of this podcast. But it, it you know it's basically the consequence of a number of other risks, be it fire or cyber or whatever else, how do you even mitigate business interruption as a risk manager? Um, I think it's really around, and I I believe we kind of had talked about this a little bit earlier, is, is really around the understanding of the business as a whole or your business as a whole. And really looking at the types of things that can happen and, and really looking at controls and exposures. Really, what's the exposure that you have and really what's your control that's in place to actually mitigate or eliminate that, that, type, of, uh, that type of an exposure. Be it, you know, if, if you're impacted by a, um, by a, a, a supply station, um, what's your alternate supplier? Where is that located? Looking at those types of things and putting it together and then understanding that and, and really, you know, I mean, do I need to stockpile things? What do I need to do to kind of make sure that I understand that exposure? And, what are, you know, and what's in line with what the business requires? Your, every business is going to be different and, and, and what, what level they require um, certain aspects or certain risks to be at are all going to vary based on, on their needs. So really understanding that, um, the involvement of your, of your broker and your insurance carrier in areas where they could possibly provide you expertise in different things and really talk about, um, uh, you know, policy coverages and, and, and different things like that that possibly could mitigate some of these or, or offload some of that exposure um, to others where, where that makes sense. And, Tom, before I let you go, what's maybe one piece of advice you would give to a risk manager in terms of helping to mitigate that BI? Um, really, uh, uh, understanding uh, understanding the the issue that you're the concern that you have, um, working with your internal resources, whatever they may be, but also tapping into external resources that can help you best understand that, and then looking for alternatives to what if what if type scenarios that happen, or you know, tabletop exercises, or whatever the situation is that that you feel comfortable with, and really. But realize that it's not a one and done. It's it, it's really an ongoing because business, the world, 
It's a global economy. Things are changing every day. Um, the impacts on different businesses every day um, change and adjust, and that's it's really the due diligence of, of making sure you keep up with that because it can you know things can change very quickly. Um, you know, exposures can exchange can can change. Um, uh, aspects of that, uh, you know, of your business can change, competitors can change. So, I mean, there's, there's different aspects that happen. So really the, the key is understanding, but also due diligence and continuing your growth with understanding. I want to introduce now Emmy Donovan, the Global Head of Cyber and Tech here at Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty. And Emmy, cyber comes in at the number two risk on this year's Allianz Risk Barometer, a crazy rise from number 15 <laughs> just five years ago. It's a strong number two. It's right behind business interruption. What is the backbone of that rise? People are finally paying attention. <laughs> and uh, have you just been yelling at them for the last five 15 years? 15 years? Yeah. 15. Oh, wow. Buddy. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I, I've been doing cyber and tech um, underwriting my whole career. I started in um, San Francisco as a field underwriter in PI before cyber was really even a product that was offered standalone. And I mean, I remember back in maybe 2007, 2008 before the target breach, but after a couple of notable breaches that at least got some press in the US, kind of telling everyone like, hey, this is coming, you probably want to think about it. And I think that there's finally enough um, that's been in the news that has um, really hit the radars of boards. Um, I, honestly, I, I attribute a lot of that to the target breach and the fact that the CEO got ousted, so all mm. of a sudden boards of directors started realizing that cyber incidents could have real impacts on them personally. At which point I think people start actually paying attention. I, I think also that the regulations that are being put into place have, um, not just in the U.S. where we've had this regulation around privacy um, incidents, at least in California since um, the end of 2003, beginning of 2004, but now with GDPR coming online in May in the EU, I think that there's even additional um, focus that's, that's coming onto this from a global perspective because we've also got countries like Australia Australia, Singapore, China, that are putting together their own rules as well. And a good portion of South America is actually taking their cues from the EU around GDPR, so they're starting to look at regulations around this as well. So I think that once you start tying regulations and the potential for real fines and penalties and costs, hard costs associated with compliance, I think it, it becomes very difficult for companies to, to say, you know, this isn't something that we need to be worrying about. They're, they're being told in no uncertain terms that, you know, this is something they have to worry about. And I think one of the reasons that it climbed so quickly is because it snuck up on people. And all of a sudden, I think there are a number of companies that have realized, oh, no, I've got to do something about this. I haven't taken it as seriously as I probably should have till now. And now I'm, I'm kind of um, behind the eight ball on... Um, trying to get everything under control. I think also that for a lot of people um, on boards of management and things like that, when you consider, um, and I don't mean this to be uh, in any way disrespectful, but when you consider the average age of someone on a board of directors or a board of management um, being, you know, over 50, and I think about, you know, the way my, my older cousins and even my parents look at technology versus the way that I do uh, versus the way that, you know, 
my younger cousins and even my godkids do, there's a huge difference in the comfort level and the understanding that people have depending on um, kind of what their experience has been with computers and, and different electronic devices. So I think that for a lot of people that are within the board of management, they look at things like an iPhone, for example, and really see it as a black box. It's just something that does things for them. <laughs> but the concept of how that then interconnects with other um, networks, with other, you know, information sites and those sorts of things, I don't think is something that a lot of people have a good level of comfort with. And because of that, it becomes a very opaque issue because, you know, I know I've got technology, I know I need to, you know, protect it. How do I even begin to do that if I don't understand what the technology does? And then you throw on top of that, the complexity that when you're talking about privacy rules, it's not just a cyber incident. I mean, you've got companies that still have paper records on their individual consumers and, and patients and otherwise that um, are also um, required to be protected. So it, it straddles over, you know, quote unquote, cyber, and it starts implicating other aspects of operations for an organization. And I think once people start peeling back the layers of that, they realize what a big project it is, and then it becomes a real concern fairly quickly. So I think that that's why the ramp up happened so suddenly. I'm, I'm thrilled, actually, <laughs> that people are starting to take this seriously, because um, as you said, I've been out kind of banging a drum, not just me, but you know, a lot of people, not only in the insurance industry, but outside the insurance industry, in information security and, and technology, have been banging this drum for a while. And um, it's good to see our clients globally starting to take it really seriously. It's interesting, Emmy, because you, you kind of answer my next question uh, in that one, which is, at why does cyber, which finishes at second as the most identified risk in the risk barometer, how does it then come in as the top underestimated business risk? How does that correlation work? And mm-hmm. and I think you did a good job of answering that question maybe in the first answer, but if you could just elaborate a little bit more on that. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think if you go back to what I was saying just before, that people realize that it's a huge risk, but they have no idea how to begin to address it. And I think that really necessarily yields an underestimation of what it is. And I think that, like I said, when you start to peel back the layers, suddenly you realize how much of your organization's operations are impacted by, you know, cyber exposures um, and the need to protect confidential and customer information. Um, It becomes really very critical. But I've worked with organizations in this aspect before, and they suddenly realize that in order to uh, ring fence a certain issue, they've got to get five different departments involved um, to make sure that it's actually adequately represented, or there are multiple departments that are in charge of different aspects of the same issue. And in some instances, you've got organizations where the legal people have never talked to the IT people, have never talked to the risk management people, and suddenly you've got some pretty serious concerns around, you know, liability assumption and contract management, which is a legal issue. You've got regulatory compliance associated with the different um, regulations that are out there. That becomes a separate issue. Then you've got to get risk management involved. They've got to talk to IT and then potentially physical security is a separate department and a different issue. So 
once you start realizing, you almost have to completely reorganize your operations to be able to adequately address this. I mean, there are workarounds, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every company in the world is going to have to completely reformat, but uh, it, but it, 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 it is a more complex problem than most people give it credit for. And I think finally people realized it's not the sort of thing you can just turn to the IT people and say, fix it. Mm you yeah. have to actually get more aspects of the organization involved and i think that once people realize that they re realize they've really underestimated the risk associated with this stuff now emmy you mentioned it earlier target right and how people maybe took that one to heart and noticed that this could happen to anybody but if we look at more small to medium sized businesses they're particularly vulnerable to malware and phishing yeah. schemes as well as those coordinated major attacks like WannaCry, etc. So Absolutely. You know, yeah. how, what kind of obstacles do those businesses face and how can insurance help those guys? Yeah, so I think that one of the issues that SMEs uh, face that's particularly critical is um, they, they don't have particularly deep pockets. So if they go offline and they have a major revenue loss, many times it's almost impossible for them to recover. You get behind and then you get a little further behind and a little further behind. And the next thing you know, you've either piled up contractual liabilities um, based on the inability to perform on your contracts or otherwise. And, you know, I was reading a figure fairly recently that said 60% of SMEs that suffer cyber attacks end up folding within a year. So it really emphasizes the potential damage to SMEs because they don't have the financial resiliency to be able to bounce back. Um, further, they don't have the internal resources. In a lot of cases, they've out outsourced their tech um, operations and therefore they retain less control. So um, they become very, very reliant on these tech firms that are providing services to them. If one of those tech firms have an outage, that can also be crippling. And that's completely outside of their control, notwithstanding the fact that obviously they would be vetting different tech firms and making sure they did their due diligence around the ones that you know are best suited to support their operations. But in a lot of cases, you know, the owners of these businesses aren't tech savvy enough to really, really understand the differences um, between the different service providers. And um, I think that's part of the issue. So in terms of what insurance can do for them, we've got a pilot in the US right now with a company called Zaguro that actually um, works as a virtual CISO for our small business clients. And they make recommendations around best practices. They kind of look on their network and say, oh, you're with provider A we've noticed that provider A has a security flaw in their operating system. So we actually recommend if and when possible, you move to provider B, those sorts of recommendations. It also aligns and allows companies to be compliant with the DFS regulations around, you know, needing to have a um, CISO in-house to comply. Um, you know, the, the customers can now say they've got a virtual CISO in place and therefore they can certify compliance, those sorts of things. Additionally, with most cyber insurance policies comes a vendor panel, essentially, that provides services in real time to respond to breaches. So I have a breach, I pick up the phone, and I've got a hotline that I can call that will connect me to an attorney who is, you know, practiced and specialized in um, network security incidents and response thereto, and has relationships in place 
um, that Allianz is also vetted and supports with a number of different IT vendors that can help um, support around um, response services, whether it be incident response um, or even setting up call centers, credit monitoring, notifying clients that their information has been breached, really a full suite of services um, to respond in the incident or in the instance that they have a cyber incident. Emmy, we could we could go on for hours because uh, I mean True. everything <laughs> it's so in depth and it's just so interesting how how much it's evolved over the course of the last few years. But uh, I'll give you one more before I let you go. Uh, in okay. the report, you you say that it's almost impossible to completely prevent cyber events, but there are many approaches that make the ones that happen far less damaging. So, parting words, a piece of advice. What are a few ways to do that? Um, don't have the time when you have a cyber incident be the first time you talked about what you're going to do when it happens. That's probably number one, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And, and, and it's very low-hanging fruit, but you'd be surprised how few organizations actually think through um, different things like that. Um, we also have you know, seen customers where um, they realize as a part of their crisis response procedure, um, their manual is online. And if their systems go down, they don't have a paper copy that has people's phone numbers even to kind of contact in the event of an emergency. So really thinking through um, the availability. So not only what you're going to do, but if something happens, how do you access that plan? Have you practiced it? Those sorts of things. Um, and, and certainly working with a cyber insurance uh, partner can help with that. A lot of the things that we do is consult. We've got risk um, engineers that will consult and provide um, some recommendations on areas for improvement for our clients. But uh, one of the easiest things to do really is to, to put together a disaster response plan that identifies the key constituents internally that need to be brought in and also potentially identifies external vendor partners that are pre-approved, pre-contracted with to come in in the event of an incident and you know specifically when something happens who you're supposed to call. That really comes down to... Um, you know, kind of the most basic levels of protection. What we've seen is that the better and sooner you respond to a cyber incident, the less likely there's going to be a material adverse impact to your company's or operations or um, even, even financials. Um, the sooner you respond, the better you respond. Um, you can really limit um, the impact of an organization's um, operations towards cyber. I want to give a very special thank you to Tom Varney and Emmy Donovan for hopping on the podcast today to discuss the top two corporate perils for 2018 as outlined in the 2018 Allianz Risk Barometer, Business Interruption, and Cyber Incidents. Want to round out the top 10. We did the top five at the top of the show, but coming in from six through 10, fire and explosion, new technologies, loss of reputation or brand value, political risks and and violence and rounding out the top 10 is climate change or the increasing volatility of weather so a really inclusive top 10 list that spans natural catastrophe to new technologies and and far beyond a good look at what business leaders 
are considering their top threats for the year 2018. Folks, if you want to reach us, if you want more information, if you just want to know more about the Allianz Risk Barometer, shoot us an email at agcs.communication at allianz.com and somebody will get back to you as soon as possible. Follow us on Twitter at agcs underscore insurance. Use the hashtag ARB2018 to see all of our content around the Risk Barometer. We're on LinkedIn. You can go to our website, agcs.allianz.com. There's plenty of ways to get in touch with us if you want more information or if you have any questions. Subscribe to us on iTunes at the AGCS Podcast. Folks, the more people that rate, review, and subscribe to the show, it'll help raise our profile on iTunes and it'll help more people find the show and we'd really appreciate it. So again, a special thank you to Tom and Emmy for jumping on and for all of us here at Allianz Global Corporate Specialty, I'm Ken Reichman and we will see you next time.